Welcome back, everybody, to I Was Hornswoggled, Waking Up From a Narcissist-Induced Nightmare. This is a Van Diary edition, and I think it might be a little bit of a story time edition. Um, you can reach the show at Pod on Twitter and hornswogglepodcast.com. You'll find all the platforms you can listen to the show, as well as contact information, So, and also a place to leave a voice message if you feel inclined to do so. If you have stories of your own or experiences or advice of your own, you can also email the show at hornswogglepodcast at gmail.com. And then also all that contact info is at hornswogglepodcast.com. I am Harena and I am sitting in my van. If you're familiar with the show, I do van diaries where I drop my kids off at class And while they're in class, I go off the cuff and without my show notes. So it's more of a conversational um, journal entry style show. So um, I apologize for my audio last episode because I was in my van. I need to record with my phone upside down so that my fingers don't constantly roam back and forth over the microphone. So I really apologize for that. I I always listen back to my shows to try to make sure that it was at least, you know, you could consume it or understand what was going on. And I'm like, oh girl, what are you doing with your microphone? Stop it. You know better than that. So I have my phone upside down. So hopefully it's better and hopefully I won't fidget. Because when you talk with your hands, but you're also a podcaster, um, it, it doesn't make a great thing when you don't have a mic on a mic stand in a, in a little studio. So, all right, enough rambling. Let's talk about my last experience and what, what was the culmination of finding out that my covert narcissist mom was, my mom was indeed a covert narcissist. And, um, I'll probably do this justice down the road, but right now I'm just going to try to do an aerial view of where I was at in my life when I found out that my mom was a covert narcissist and how my whole world came crashing down. But, um, I keep seeing, you know, stuff on the internet. It's like, oh, you know, sometimes a storm doesn't come in to destroy your life. It comes in to remove the bits and pieces that don't belong there. And that's kind of how I feel. I feel like narcissist. we can look at a narcissistic attack two ways. We can be feel blessed that, oh my gosh, I don't have to live another 10 years not knowing why nothing is amazing, <laughs> why I'm being gaslit, why I'm being verbally, physically, or mentally abused, all of the above. So, you know, it's the truth. Or you can look at it as, um, oh no, I can't believe this person did this to me. I'm a secret revenge, raw. And I don't recommend that path. I recommend finding the silver linings in the situation where you can, and then moving forward in a productive manner. So here I was, um, once again, I will be upfront with you. I am a follower of Jesus. That's how I would put it because the more and more I build my relationship with, um, who I deem our creator, I respect your views and opinions. I'm just going to tell you what, where I'm at in my life and what is my life. Okay. Cause I respect your life. Please respect mine. So when 
my dad died in 2014, I want to say. I kind of block everything out. 2014, I believe, was a Christmas. My son was one. My daughter was two. And it was unexpected. We had no idea that this was even a possibility. And um, I get a call from my mom. And I'll go into this later on. But she called me right away. And because I was her go-to person. And, um, she, it was weird. I was her go-to person in a way where she would fight with me, but also lean on me. It's very strange. And I was just sitting down with my daughter and I was feeding her. We had gotten home from um, Christmas at my in-laws and I was sitting on the couch and we were doing like a little nighttime snack with some goldfishies and watching a little cartoon for getting her dressed and washed up and ready for bed. She's only two. And we were sitting on the couch. All of a sudden, I get this phone call from my mom. She's super frantic. And she's like, you need to come right now. You need to come right now. I called the ambulance for your father. I called the ambulance for your father. And I just, my whole world right then came to a screeching, you know, what? So, you know, my husband's like, oh, you'll be right back. They've had to take him to hospital before because he would get water on his lungs from having some sort of a disorder that stemmed from where he used to work. So... He goes and, uh, you know, she calls, she calls the ambulance. They come and pick up my dad. And when I arrived there, I knew my dad had passed. Uh, he was not like, he was lifeless. He, and they wouldn't make eye contact with me. They wouldn't, they were really cautious about saying one thing or another. It's like, they just wanted to go about their business, trying to get my dad. My dad was a very large man and they're trying to get him out the backslider of my mom's home and they could not. And I dove in and grabbed the help them. And we, I remember my, so my dad is upside down now. We're going down these stairs in the back of my parents' house. And in my mind, I just dove into action and was grabbing the um, hospital, like, I can't think of the technical term, the gurney or whatever. And they were trying to get him down the stairs and I just kissed my dad's forehead and I knew that right then that my dad was gone. I'm going to, okay, sorry. I'm getting a little overglumped. Emotions I find I lock away. So when I talk about things, they come back up. It's, we're human. It happens. So fast forward, we get my dad in the hospital and, you know, they announced that he had passed and my dad, as much as he could be a jerk, I feel like he wasn't the narcissist. I feel like he was trained. He was trained to be just how my mom was like grooming me to be like almost like a replacement version of him in, in the way that she would treat him. She would also treat me. And, um, it was very strange. <laughs> so when my dad passed away, my mom latched onto me and use me as a life raft. And then, so being a mom of two babies and not having a life raft of my own, my husband was working long hours, seven days a week. I was a stay-at-home mom. I had quit my job to stay at home because why go to work and pay for daycare? That's literally what I would have been doing, paying for strangers to watch my kids. So we just decided we weren't going to have the money anyways because I'd had to pay for daycare. So I stay home. And, um, he, my mom latched onto me. She stayed in my basement. We had, uh, we have a finished basement. I made um, a whole bedroom up for her and would bring down snacks and water because she's also diabetic. And she would always say her sugar was all over the place. And 
So I don't ever know to the extent of what she tells the truth or not anymore because she would tell me, oh, I'm so glad you left me those snacks on my table. I almost had went into a coma. My blood sugar got so low. So then I would fawn over her and get scared and pamper her and she would just eat it up. So I never really know now to the extent of what my mom's medical condition really was, if it's the truth or not, or if she was embellishing. I have no idea. So I take care of my mom through this, through this entire time. And I answer her phone calls. I am her assistant. I'm her secretary. We're trying to get things in order for my dad um, for the funeral and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden I started getting these evil voice messages from my aunt. And my aunt, from what I remember, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder on top of a multitude of other things. And she, she's the aunt that my mom chose because I don't know if I, I think I, I touched on this. My mom, we had two aunts, one on my dad's side, one on my mom's side. My mom would handpick relatives and then assign them to us as if the, those were our spirit beasts or something. I have no idea. And she would be like, tell my sister, oh, you and that aunt are so much alike. You're so close. Blah, blah, blah. And then she would tell me, oh, you and that aunt are so close. So the aunt that I was supposedly told I was so close to all my whole life, but I literally was not, started leaving me very evil, bizarre voicemail messages saying, you will not keep me from my sister. You will not keep me. We are blood. And she's yelling at me through my phone. We are blood. You, you better let me talk to her. And she's screaming at me and going and starts yelling Bible verses at me and a bunch of weird stuff. Okay. So I'm, I'm flustered here. I'm trying to process the death of my own dad. I'm taking care of my mom. And then now I'm getting evil messages from my aunt almost every day. Every day it's some belligerent, threatening voice messages implying that I'm stealing my mom from her. But in my world, I'm just... She wanted to come and stay in my house, my basement. She didn't want to be in her home alone anymore. And my dad just passed. And it made total sense to me. But now knowing what I know about narcissists and looking back at that situation, I wouldn't be surprised if my mom wasn't, because she had her cell phone, wasn't telling my my aunt that I was keeping her in my basement. I wouldn't put it past her because the vitriol that I would receive from my aunt day after day after day after day for a week never made any sense. I thought, what did I do to this woman? Who hurt her? Like, where is this coming from? I have no idea. And at this time, I really wasn't a Christian. I wasn't going to church. I really never found one, uh, a group of people who claim to love Jesus, but act in the absolute opposite of the man they claim to want to act like. So it was seemed like a very hypocritical thing. And I would have identified myself with being more spiritual. Well, fast forward through somehow I made it through all this mess, but then I started drinking I became addicted to alcohol. I was drinking box wine and it went from a box of wine would last me a week to a box of wine would last me two days. And 
I was self-medicating my depression and my non-processing of my feelings with, and I was, you know, band-aiding it with alcohol. I would wait until my husband was at work because he worked third shift and my kids were safe in bed in their cribs and their beds. And then I would just drink and I've never been a blackout drunk, but I would drink my feelings away. And then I would get to a point of utter sadness because alcohol is not going to make you feel better. It's not. So after about three years of me drinking and pushing my feelings and emotions away and medicating myself in silence, I just had this thirst for a different life. And I just knew that there had to be something more out there you know, out there. There had to be something for me out there that made sense, that made all this make sense. And I just really started craving a connection with God. I really did. It just, it just arose in me. And then all of a sudden I started trying to dig as fast as I could to try to find my footing. Where do you go? You know, there's all of these ministries out there, like the creepy Kenneth Copeland dude. I don't know if you like that guy, but he gives me the heebie-jeebies. And like, there's all those, like, I deem them, you may like them, but I deem them like really creepy fake. Like they pile on 10 pounds of makeup, like the Tammy Faye people. So I, that always never sat right with me. <laughs> and they're in the whole religion and the way they approach a relationship with God is just begging for money so they can have bigger mansions. And it just never lined up. Their words and their actions did not line up. And now I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if they were just raging narcissists as well, to be honest. So I put in free Bible studies and um, into the internet. And I signed up for a multitude of them. And I never heard anything back from any of these places. And then all of a sudden, I, um, <laughs> a man walked up into our yard and approached my husband and we're not, because of all of the stuff we've had to go through with trusting those closest to us, um, and then always not, <laughs> never ending well. And then realizing that my mom was at the core of a lot of the relationships that would, you know, implode around everybody, not just us, it'd be everybody. <laughs> so, um, I, he approached my husband and he goes, did you order Bible studies? And my husband said, no, <laughs> like in a very like one, why are you in my yard too? Why are you asking me about Bible studies? And so then he's like, no, I didn't. And he goes, oh wait, it must've been my wife. So then this gentleman was like, oh, okay, well here, give them to her. And, and, um, if you need anything, just let me know. And then he left. So my kind of person, so I'm very, I don't like answering doors for people because I've just, I had learned not to trust anybody at this point. And I would, for a good three months, I did Bible studies with this man, but I didn't do them with him. He would bring them to the house and put them in my wind, in my little like shutter, the decorative shutters on your house. And then I would put the ones I finished in the shutter and then he would come and get them. And I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted the information. I didn't want someone telling me how to think. I wanted to develop my own thoughts. So for three months, this gentleman and I, um, well, he was older. I'm 42 now and I was, what, 40, I was 39 
at that point, 38, 39. And he was a man in his late 60s. And he was married and his wife was very, she had a terminal illness. And he used to be heavy into drugs and alcohol and just living um, a kind of a rocky lifestyle. And he found God and he started cultivating his relationship with God. And I just really appealed to, I don't really, I had never known any other Christians, people that actually walk the talk and, and stuff. So it was really nice to see. Plus my dad was never, you wouldn't even talk about church around him at all ever. So it was nice to see an older man who loved God and also wanted other people to um, feel the way he did when he got out of his slumber, like out of his um, sinful life, I guess we would call it, because he was doing a lot of things that was hurting himself and others. So, you know, I really was inspired by his story and his testimony and his turnaround, and I really looked up to him. I thought, you know, this is a really nice person. He is really, you know, and you know what? He always was until my mother enters the stage. Let me tell you. So uh, he invites me to come to the church that he goes to. And I thought, wow, okay, this church must be pretty cool if this this gentleman came out of it, you know. And that I'm just going to tell you that's not always the case, okay? I'm not, that's not the, always the case. So I everything in life is circumstantial, all right? So if you haven't figured that out now, nothing is the same across the board. We cannot broad brush anything. And just because one person comes out of a building, that doesn't mean the building is good. So I have learned that. That is, that is a lesson. We will always learn. We will never know everything. Our learning will happen until the day we die, till our last breath, we will continue to learn. And if you don't continue to learn, have fun. I don't know what to tell you. I don't want to turn into a stagnant swamp and I don't think you do either. So I start going to this church and then my mom finds out because I kept it a secret from her. It's like instinctually I knew she was a villain, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And I didn't really know like my, my brain or my subconscious had not like processed it yet. So, but internally I knew that I could not trust her because Every time we went anywhere, she'd made everything about herself. She wanted to tell everybody about her horrible childhood and how she is this and how she had it so bad and how she's super good at this and she's super good at that. She's super good at this and she's super good. At it was just be the whole thing would be turned on. Oh, look at, look at what I can do. Look what I can do. So, you know, I didn't want that for myself. I wanted to have my own experience. I didn't want her all up in my business because this woman injected herself in my life at all costs. Like the minute I quit my job to stay home with my kids, it was like she was up in my business 24 seven all the time. So I thought, I don't want her going to my church. I want to get to know these people on my own terms. I don't want it to be, you know, her stage. Like everything was my whole life. Well, that didn't work very well because she asked me where I was going or what I was doing. I said, well, I'm going to go to church. And I know I'm stupid. I don't know why I told her. I don't know why. I don't know why. Because I didn't know she was a narcissist at this point. She goes, what church are you going to be going to? I'm like, I don't want to tell you right now because I want to go on my own. And I don't, I just, you do your thing and let me do my thing. Well, she goes, I'm going to go. And out of the blue, I swear, she says, well, my friend just invited me to go to this church and she said I should go to this church down the road from me and I was like what 
and I was thinking, oh, that better not be that church because I knew the church that I was going to go to was not that far from her house. And it was because I didn't even pick it. I was invited to it. So she says, yeah, I'm going to go to this church at the end of my road. Da, da, da. And I was like, oh, really? She's like, yeah. And I was like, well, you know, it kind of be weird if I just show up because that was the church I was going to go to. And I was invited. I'm like, well, you know, I was invited to go to that church and that's the one I was going to. Oh, good. We can go together. And I said, inexplicably, I said, listen, if we go to this church together, can you please, can you please just enjoy going to the church? Don't talk about the people. Don't talk about me. Don't talk about you. Just go, just learn, and leave. Be nice, happy, happy, whatever. But please don't make this a fiasco. And I felt like I really needed to tell her this because at that point, I think I was just absolutely fed up of all the burnt bridges that my mom had done throughout our life and her life as children and growing up. And now as an adult, I'm just like, chick, this is enough is enough, right? So once we get start going to church there... You know, it was fine for a little bit because it always is. They don't really want to show their behind right off the bat. And I don't think she knew how she was going to play this. Am I going to blow my um, daughter up into this uh, person that she's not? Am I going to use my daughter to make me look good or what? I, and I don't think she knew at what point when she was diving into this experience with me what actually was going to happen. So I've talked for 21 minutes. And I think I will cut it off here and I will pick up on, um, I'll try to do another one of Van Diary this week or just maybe a more uh, detailed episode to catch you up on what continued to happen. But I don't want to talk for more than 20 minutes because that's quite, that's kind of long. So, um, stay tuned. I, the next episode, I will tell you what happened <laughs> and how it happened and how it was my awakening. That was the, the moment I actually woke up from this nightmare. And it has taught me so much. I have learned a lot about narcissism in people, in our families, in our friends, in our churches, in our institutions. It's everywhere. We are being gaslit, I feel, more and more and more each day as, as a population. We are being gaslit. We are being... it now. Once you survive narcissism, you can look around and be like, point me a politician that isn't a narcissist. Because I don't know that they exist. Point me a media personality that isn't a narcissist. I don't know that they exist. Point me a pastor, you know, or anybody in leadership. I really, you know, there are far and few in between that don't let this power go to their heads, Right. So I will be having a chat about that next episode. So thank you so much for joining me for this episode's Van Diary. I have been your narrator and your host, Harina. <laughs> and if you want to know more about the show or participate in the show by leaving a voicemail or an email or touching base with me, you can do so at hornswogglepodcast.com. All right. Thank you so much. And until next time or later this week, um, I hope the world is treating you well. I hope you are holding your boundaries. I hope that you are thinking about setting some boundaries and, you know, God bless. Bye. Bye.